Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show, coming to you this week from Chicago. I'm at the Travel and Adventure Show. In two weeks, I'll be at the New York Travel and Adventure Show. And you know, some doing this podcast, it sometimes feels like shouting into the void, but I met so many listeners to the podcast at the show yesterday. It was so amazing to have you guys all come out and say hello and come to the speech, come to the bookstore where I was signing books. So I I really felt for the first time, actually, since I went from radio to the podcast, that this wasn't just a a project, that it, it really is becoming a community. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And for a long time, the travel show has felt like a community and a really great one because the best people are part of that community. And I have one of them here with me today. His name is Ernest White. He's got a wonderful show on PBS called The Fly Brother. Uh, He also has his own community. We'll talk more about that. Hey, Ernest, welcome to the Frommer Travel Show. Oh, Pauline, thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. Oh, well, thank you. So how did you get into travel? And tell me a little bit about the show. Oh, wow. So I've always really been interested in different cultures and geography. As a kid, I was a total geography nerd. And my parents were teachers, so they only stoked those fires. Uh, And so from that, I suppose I did my first study abroad when I was 16. I went to Sweden, all the way from Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm from. So a complete, you know, kind of uh, different world. And And it never stopped. I've since been to 71 countries. I've lived in seven, you know, and um, it, it, I know people who've been to twice as many, but the point isn't how many countries. It's the fact that I'm out here. I'm, I'm, I'm engaging. I'm connecting. And that's really what we want to encourage other people to do with my show, Fly Brother, with Ernest White II. In it, I visit friends in different places who bring me into their communities, show me what they love about the place, and we show the audience the whole world is our tribe. And the purpose is really to just get beyond the surface level, quote unquote, differences to see that no matter where we're from, we all want the same things in life, to just be seen, to be empowered, and to be loved. And I feel like that's the message that we're really uh, broadcasting, literally, with Fly Brother. So ha- so you have friends, you have enough friends in enough different countries to keep this going. I got to ask, how do you define friend? Well, honestly, I just have, I've, I've been blessed to uh, connect deeply with people quickly. And there's just this energy of, you know, I see you, I, I feel you, I know you. And, and we kind of get beyond a lot of the, the I, I don't know, the time-based uh, requirements of like, I've, I've had to know you for so long in order to really understand you. And I think that's um, because I'm kind of an open, vulnerable person. And that's the kind of people that I end up connecting with and that I attract. And so in that, I've been able to maintain those relationships. And we've got the technology nowadays that allows us to do that. So, you know, with WhatsApp or social media, email, you know, I mean, all of those things allow us to keep our communities close, no matter where they are geographically. And uh, I think that's been, again, the blessing of it. And so when I conceived of the show, it was what would be the differentiator? You know, Anthony Bourdain at the time, you know, rest in peace, was he had the lock on food. Uh, My other interest is architecture. I don't think I could have really pushed a show about architecture at that time. Now I might be able to, but then, (laughs) so it was like, what would set my show apart from others? 
it was the, the the people that I would connect with, the the friends that I would make in places that I just felt like people need to see this. They need to see that we look different, that we, again, come from different places, but really how much fun we have together, how much we enjoy each other's company and just the learning about each other. Well, I got to say, I think when I think of my friends, it's terrible, but in, well, I have several different communities in my life. Mm-hmm. I come from a theater background, so I have all my old theater friends. Oh, really? I, I have all my book publishing friends and my travel industry friends. But that doesn't seem that diverse. I don't know if I could build a show around that. So when you do a show, give us a destination that you've covered and the different types of voices who appeared on the show. So one easy example of that for me is our Stockholm episode. Uh, I have always I've had a love for Stockholm ever since going there when I was 16. And I, over the years, I traveled back and forth. And the two people that I featured in that episode are my, uh, my buddy, Martin, who is native to Sweden, blonde, blue-eyed, you know, kind of that stereotype, even though that's not the uh, most common phenotype, but still, you know, Uh, and super nice guy. He was my couch surfing host when I stayed there back in 2009. And we have since built a wonderful friendship. We only talk maybe a couple times a year, but when we do, like, you know, the cliche, it was just like we spoke yesterday. Well, anyway, Martin is a teacher for special needs kids, and he also um, dances with fire. So he shows me how to fire and force me to eat fire. And I'm like, man, this is my moneymaker here. So don't let me burn my face. Uh, so anyway, he's one of the storytellers that we feature in the, the episode. And then the other one is my friend Jermaine Thomas, who is a wonderful, wonderful lady that I met a few years ago, actually now going on 15 years, who is Jamaican-American, raised in New York but has lived in Sweden for over 20 years and is a, a jazz singer. And she also has a beautiful group of a, a beautiful community that she's engaged with. And so we have two different types of people who call who call Stockholm home. And that's exactly the type of community that we want people to, to, to recognize that when you go places, you never know who you're going to meet. So where can people see the show? How? Because I know it can be tough on PBS because there's not one schedule for the entire country. So how do people find the show to watch it? Well, first you can go to our website, flybrother.net, and uh, you can also do flybrother.com. It took us 10 years to get .com, but we finally landed it. Uh, and so, uh, But going there, there is uh, there are a couple of tabs that you can go to to find the schedule where it is on PBS stations around the country, both seasons one and two are still cycling through. It also periodically appears on Create, which is one of PBS's cable channels, so you can see it there. And then also you can you can stream both seasons, 10 episodes, uh, 20 episodes at PBS.org. So if you go there and look for Fly Brother, you can also stream it anytime. And I know that you're also creating a community. I guess so you have more guests in the future. How, what is that? How does that work? Well, you know, over the years, people have consistently said either they wanted to travel with me or even more brashly, if you will, I want your life. (laughs) Now, they really don't because they don't understand that as an entrepreneur and as an independent producer, you know, you're working on Christmas. But (laughs) still, um, we we've created an opportunity for people to kind of have a bit of that magic in their lives regardless of what it that magic means to them. For me, travel has been a catalyst, a doorway into 
a world of transformation. And so we're creating that with our membership community, Fly Brother and Friends, where people can create an epic life where travel intersects with health, wellness, love, relationships, community building, entrepreneurship, location independence, and holistic well-being. All of, again, areas where my life has changed because of getting out of the, the my comfort zone because of crossing boundaries and backgrounds. And we've got a core, a group of core storytellers who are experts in those fields, who've created courses and content. And um, we have trips that we are planning that are both hosted and curated by me that, again, create an opportunity for people to transform their lives in all the different ways that they can imagine. So with travel, again, as the catalyst or as the doorway, springboard, whatever word you want to use. Right. Wow. So it's tr- it's going to be trips. It's courses online. Are these over Zoom? Is that is that what you mean? We've got video courses. We've got uh, live events. Uh, we've had a meetup in San Francisco uh, for my birthday. My 45th birthday was October 31st. And <laughs> we had birthday. a what? Thank you. Thank you. It's you know already halfway to 46 now. But, you know, we, we, we create, again, um, immersive opportunities for engagement in many different ways. And it's just starting out. It's a small community, but it's growing. And we've got members from all over the world who are also able to connect with one another and offer opportunities for travel and for growth. And uh, again, in all the areas that they, when people want change, when they want something different in their lives and they want more than what appears in front of them, this is where they can come to get that inspiration and to get a little guidance. You're talking about all the good parts of travel right now. You're talking about (laughs) creating communities and dispelling myths about otherness Mm -hmm. uh, with the people we meet who might not look like us, who might not have the same backgrounds as us. But there's always the it's not a bear in the room. What is it? An elephant in the room. Yes. Oh, actually, a friend of mine, uh, bears are not hibernating this winter, apparently. Oh. And a friend of mine has a beehive, which got attacked by a bear. Anyway, that's a that's a total non sequitur. But sustainability, that's the big issue in travel. Yes. And you ignore it at your own peril because it's it's the world is changing more rapidly than any scientist ever realized. And sure. as a mother, I feel incredibly guilty about the world we're leaving our children. You cover that topic in your speech at the Travel and Adventure Show. And you start or you, you also include a personal fail uh, when you weren't sustainable, where you kind of screwed up. Let's start there because I'm sure everybody will be able to relate. Sure, sure. So I live in Vancouver, which is a very green place. We are very aware of the environment. um, And obviously, sustainability is both environmental and social. Uh, It's In fact, when you look at the UN sustainability goals, uh, quote unquote, they start off with social sustainability, making sure there's no poverty, making sure that people are fed. I think the sixth goal is when you start seeing clean water and environmental kinds of uh, things. But anyway, that's getting into the weeds. My personal story, coming from Vancouver, we are taught to bring a, a metal water bottle wherever we go. Well, I forgot mine. And so I got to the airport and I had to buy a single use bottle of water, finished it, kept trying to use that same bottle. Of course, it starts to degrade even as you, even when it's uh, smart plastic, if you will. Um, And eventually then I get to the hotel where I'm staying, lovely hotel, but water is not included 
in that you get one bottle of water and then you have to be like an elite member in order to uh, not have to pay $4 a bottle in your room. So I'm like, and I drink a lot of water. And so here I am using now four bottles of water. I had to buy two more between the t- and then I ended up ordering some groceries from through Uber Eats through right. uh and anyway when they did that you know they 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 brought me um with my groceries two jugs of water more plastic but then it was the fact that I had to order something to be delivered so gas you know uh and 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 all of the the different pollutants that come along with the shipping process sure. in the world and so you know a lot of it yeah, a lot of the pollution that happens in the world is industrial but there's also the fact that we are drops in the ocean and the ocean is made of drops right and so in this case i could have done better and the cascading effect not only in terms of just the waste that i was creating but also the money that i was spending mm-hmm. When I could have just had my water bottle and it was an innocent mistake. I forgot it at home. Sure, it wasn't that sure. I was trying to be, you know, a, a pollutant, but that's how that, that's how it ripples. That's how it cascades. And so when it comes to sustainability, for a lot of people, it's a, a buzzword. It's a catchphrase that people hear and don't really understand. It's all about just leaving the world better than you found it. Yeah. You know, and it's both, again, environmental sustainability, making sure that the environment is cared for and that we are uh, kind of working um, to correct some of the wrongs. And then also social sustainability, making sure that people who have been excluded from many different forms of abundance in life get the kind of shine, get the access, get the connection that they right. deserve. It can feel overwhelming. A friend of mine uh, is a wonderful writer named A.J. Jacobs, and he just wrote a piece for the New York Times, which ran this week. He tried to avoid all plastics for just one day, and he gave himself negative points when he couldn't. Mm. So he was doing things like bringing a wooden chair on the subway because he couldn't sit on a plastic seat. (laughs) He he couldn't brush his teeth in the morning. He had to, you know... cobble something together because his plastic, his toothbrush was plastic. And he talked to scientists. So it was a serious article with a funny side. In travel, there are a lot of operators who claim to be sustainable. But there's no one entity uh, overseeing them. So there's a lot of greenwashing going yes, on yes, yes. in this industry. How does the average traveler beyond single-use plastic? So obviously, yes, bring your metal water container. That's a great tip. But, but how does one know that the tour operator you're going with is paying their local help equitably, sure. is not using too many plastics, is is doing other is is doing other things to keep our environment safe. Grace and trust. And I say that because listen, in life, it's about progress, not perfection. You know, it's about trying to do the best that you can. It's with the intention. And it's going out thinking, you know, there are websites uh, that you can, uh, Local Purse, for example, that's one uh, website that I recommend where you can go and find uh, and you can help local vendors, local makers, local uh, artisans, mostly women in places to, uh, you know, 
purchase some of their products no matter where you are in the world, right? So it's helping uh, build local economies. There's another website called, uh, oh my gosh, the, the, the name escapes me. Okay. We, I'll get you the information, but you can book um, you can book accommodations at places where they tell you what your carbon offsets are going to be. You can do those things uh, kind of off the bat when you from home, right? But in the end, you can't guarantee that something is going to be uh, a panacea for all the problems in the world. You can only do your part. And so give yourself the grace. Be more aware with every moment. Just try to choose better. And that's it. We, at, by the very nature of being on this planet, we are in some way altering it. And so it, it's, you know, th there's, there's no way to not uh, create some kind of change. And you can look at that as negative. Oh, we're a virus on the planet. Well, I don't believe that because we are here for a reason. And as long as we're, we, we've got the love in us enough to say, you know what, I'm going to try to protect and take care of the space that I'm in and the people around me, that's all you need to do. So we don't have to be carrying wooden chairs to ride on subways. <laughs> if you want to. But, if we want uh, to, sure. yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. Tell you, don't, please don't sit in front of the door. Right. No. <laughs> uh, he had he he describes it as most people were in their devices, so nobody noticed him. Oh, but bless. one guy looked at him and and then looked away really quickly, like I don't want to engage with you, dude. <laughs> it's a little odd, and we know what it's like when people are odd, but. I have to give him kudos for um, having enough self-esteem to go into the subway in a wooden with a wooden chair. Oh, he's a he's a wonderful writer. He wrote a, a book called "The Year of Living Biblically," oh, wow. where he tried to follow all of the biblical uh, rules, and he did this as an atheist, interestingly oh, enough. Fun. But yeah, so he's a he's a wonderful writer. Was it an Adirondack chair, though? That's the question. <laughs> no, just a folding chair. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to the Adirondacks. Love you guys. Oh, yeah. Those are beautiful chairs. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. Switching gears. Yes. Just two last questions. Sure. Do you have a favorite travel hack? Oh, wow. Favorite travel hack. <laughs> that's a, that's tough. I don't have a favorite travel hack. I just, uh, you know, I, if I tell you, then I'm going to be upset because it means uh, more people doing what I'm doing. So I'm not going to tell my favorite travel hack, okay. but I'll just say um, try to be gracious with people. I, 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 I have to say that, too, because right now I'm, I'm hobbling around with a fractured ankle. Oh. And I have just noticed, unfortunately, that there are a lot of people who are kind of uh, inconsiderate and uh, borderline rude. Uh, and, and I just was, I'm disappointed in that, you know, come on family. Like you, you, you're but one uh, fractured ankle away from hobbling around an airport and needing assistance from people. So um, it's not quite a hack, but it's just saying have grace. You know, I know it, I keep saying that because it's required. We're dealing with a lot of people. There's a lot of energy. It's irritate. It's irritating. So first it's breathing, calming down and, you know, just, just saying, all right, you know what? Everything's going to be all right. That is such a deeper hack than I would have given. <laughs> See, I was going to, I would have talked about the fact that in every hotel closet, there is a hanger usually with little clips. And if your curtains don't fully close, you can use those clips on the oh, curtain. Wow, thank you. I didn't know about that. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> it's a good, it's a yes. good hack. Anyway. All right. And the last question, is there a destination that you think 
deserves more love that doesn't because you know we have so many over touristed destinations yes, yes. i think part of sustainability is going to the great Sorry. places that don't uh that don't get the visitors yes tajikistan I say that we filmed an episode there. I also updated the uh, Brat Guidebook to Tajikistan a few, many, many years ago now. Um, it's just a wonderful place with people who are sweet and engaging. And it, it's the, the main focus would be on nature and um, mountaineering and biking. So it's a, a place that uh, it, it's not a luxury uh, lo- location. But. Before we go further... Can you tell our listeners where Tajikistan yes. is? I don't think we've ever discussed that on the travel oh, show wow. before. Okay, Tajikistan is a country in Central Asia. It is a former it's a former Soviet republic. So those of us of age um, might remember that it was a part of the Soviet Union. But uh, culturally, it is a kind of a Persianate culture. It's on the Silk Road. It is uh, just north of Afghanistan, south of uh, Kyrgyzstan, and it also borders China. And so you've had, and Uzbekistan also. Uh, and so it was the kind of at the center of the world 3,000 years ago. There's a castle that we went to called Castle Karon, 3,000 year old castle overlooking the River Panj, which is across from uh, Afghanistan, 12,000 feet in altitude in the, the Himalayas, really, like the start, the Pamir Mountains. And, um, just incredible civilization. And you see this mix of cultures from all over the world. And over the last couple of centuries, it was kind of on the edge of civilization in a way, because it was a, it was on the edge of like the Russian empire and then the Soviet empire and kind of isolated, if you will. And so it's just really interesting to see a place with so many different cultural influences kind of be on some level held back a bit from modernity, but they're surging forward and there's so much engagement with the world. And that's why I love Tajikistan so much because there's still this kind of wonderful, um, I don't want to say innocence because that's, that, that's, that's very patronizing, but right. people are still very, very um, wonderfully engaging with you. I think when you said the word Afghanistan, that it's near there, yes. I think a lot of our listeners are probably going to say, is it safe? I feel like it's very safe. You know, I mean, listen, I'm from the United States of America. There are lots of places people are worried about safety. Uh, And so I say, you know, it's your choice to uh, go out in the world. I'm one, I'm a believer in um, engaging with people and, and, and yes, having street smarts, but at the same time, like you can't go out fearfully. And I believe Tajikistan is a safe place for, for people to visit. But it is not uh, a place where, I mean, it, it's kind of rough still. Sure. And so don't go thinking you're going to get like a beach vacation. I would definitely Google it before doing that. Wow, Tajikistan. Yes. Now I want to go. That sounds amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ernest, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me again. It was a pleasure. If you're like me, you probably have lost something at the airport. It's very common, which is why I was so pleased to see the article recently in the Washington Post, which gave some actionable and really smart advice on what to do if you lose something. The article is called How to Recover a Lost Item at TSA, the Airport, or Your Flight. And to walk us through that, we have the author Chris Dong on the line. Hey, Chris, nice to speak with you. 
Nice to speak with you too. Thanks for having me, Pauline. Of course. Well, I think it's interesting that in the headline, you have it laid out, right? You have to either go to the TSA, you have to go to the airline, or you have to go to the airport. There is no one entity who will be able to magically find what you've lost if you don't quite know where in the flight process you lost it, right? Exactly. So where and when you leave something at the airport matters so much. Um, And as you said, it isn't just one entity. You kind of have to retrace your steps, figure out where you might have lost something, and then go from there to reach out to that specific organization, whether that's TSA, the airport specifically, or the airline that you flew. So which, which, which entity tends to cover the most places, would you say? I would say um, it's mostly the airlines and the TSA. I spoke with the TSA spokesperson, Lisa Farbstein. She gave a lot of color into just how many items are lost at TSA checkpoints each month. It's about 100,000 items, actually, across the U.S. My goodness. Wow. Yeah. Um, And then on the airline side... Each of the airlines have their own kind of behemoth operations as well for a lost and found, with each of their hubs being kind of a specific operation for lost and found, but then also like a centralized uh, operation as well across the airlines. Right. And I thought it was interesting that in terms of the airlines, you go to them even if you lost something in the airport, for example, if you lost it at the gate area, that is considered to be under the umbrella of the airline, right? Correct. Yes. So either at the gate, um, as you said, on the plane itself, even at places like the check-in counter or in the airline lounge, it's kind of under that jurisdiction of the airline itself. Um, And this actually happened to myself. So this A lot of the stories that I write are just experiences that I have, whether it's good or bad. In this instance, it was myself losing a laptop in an airline lounge Mm. and kind of retracing my steps to figure out where and who to reach out to, um, and then reporting on that after the fact for WAPO. So uh, it's something that actually happened to me, and it's something that happens to lots of travelers every day. So you left your your laptop in one airline lounge, but didn't figure it out until you had flown all the way across the Pacific, right? How how did the airline help you in that in that instance? Exactly. So I was flying from Los Angeles to Hawaii. Um, I was at the airport lounge in Los Angeles before my flight. I had realized I left my laptop in that airline lounge only after a landing in Hawaii when I looked at my backpack and realized, wait, I left my laptop in that lounge. What do I do? I just am 2,000 miles away. How do I figure this out? So what I ended up doing was I actually spoke to the airport lounge in Hawaii when I landed. This was American Airlines. Um, And thankfully, they were able to reach out to the airport in Los Angeles, um, their colleagues at the lounge there, and they confirmed that they were able to find my my laptop. So this is in that jurisdiction. Of course, that's within the airline's control. They have their own lost and found facility. Um, And then when I returned back to Los Angeles a few days later, I was able to pick it up. So you you didn't get they didn't put it on the next flight to Hawaii for you. You had to wait until you got back to that airport. Exactly, yes. So when you do lose something, it's kind of up to you to decide 
whether you could, you have two options, whether it's to pick up the lost item from their facility, wherever airport that might be, or to have it shipped to wherever you are, but that is going to be, that cost is incurred for yourself. So you'll have to pay that. So you're not going to be able to get it back usually instantaneously. Sometimes it can take quite some time, right? Exactly. Yeah. So usually most lost and found processes that I've found in my research, um, it takes days, sometimes weeks. It's not something that can be done so quickly as um, hours or even even if you think, oh, let me just show up to the airport. I, I left the airport. Let me go back and see if I can just check out their lost and found facility. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. You have to kind of submit the claim, go through that process. And even in my instance, when even from the airline perspective, I had to go through the claims process to confirm and do all the paperwork. Um, it's not too much of a burden, but it definitely kind of helps in terms of having that lined up step by step so that they can track where the item actually ends up going. Right. And I thought it was fascinating that you can't wait too long. If it's more than 30 days, you've pretty much abandoned that item. They're not they're not going to give it to you. Or 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 am I overstating that? Um so it, I think it depends. So oftentimes after that 30-day mark, depending on whether it's the airport or TSA or the airline, each of them have their own specific policies. Um but in the case of TSA, after that 30-day mark, they might send their item to um the state and the state can decide whether they want to keep it or maybe sell it to some kind of agency or just sell it at an auction. Um, so it really, after that 30-day mark, it's kind of the key point where it's kind of um, up to that organization to decide what they want to do with that item. And I thought it was interesting that they will wipe electronics of all of all the personal information that, that you have on it after 30 days, right? Right. So after that 30-day mark, some of the airlines will actually kind of wipe and the TSA will wipe out your personal info. But that's not to say you should be having some secure passwords and being able to remotely do that already if you lose an item. I would say uh-huh. that's probably a best, that's common, a good common practice to do is to, if you do lose something to have, like in the, in the case of an Apple device, to be able to kind of remotely go into that device and, and make sure that's cleared out so that no one can access it. Now, did you find out was when you were reporting this, some of the weirdest objects that have been found and never really uh, recovered or, or, or never, uh, what's the word? Nobody ever tried to get back? <laughs> right. Yes. Um, and speaking with several people that are kind of uh, in the weeds with this, as they say, um, people were able to find things like a blueprint to a casino, a bowling ball, a child's portable po- like porta potty. Like there are definitely some <laughs> very odd items that people kind of forget at TSA specifically. I mean, the most common things, of course, are jackets and keys and things like that. But there are kind of some wacky things that people have left either on the plane or or at security mostly as well. You know, I had a very strange experience. This was a n- number of years ago. My, my kids were much smaller and they were having a terrible argument as we went through the TSA security lines. And consequently... I forgot my laptop 
in the bin and I got on the plane without the laptop. I thought it was lost. So I contacted Lost and Found, but they ended up looking at the security videos and realized that it had been stolen by an airline employee. So it became this this whole crazy thing. Do you know how often they do resort to the videotapes when something is lost? I'm not entirely sure, but I know each airport kind of operates it independently. So even though the TSA has this overarching lost and found, kind of each airport can have their own jurisdiction in a way to kind of figure out where and what to do in the cases of something being lost or or even stolen. So I hope you were able to get your laptop back at the end of the day. <laughs> it took months because the guy had to go to trial. Um, oh, I ended up geez. getting another laptop and just ditching that one. It was old at that point, so it was all right. And I felt badly... Well, I don't know if I felt badly for the guy. I felt I felt mixed about the guy. He clearly saw that I was uh, <laughs> not going to forget that laptop, and I think it was a crime of opportunity. Uh, but anyway, right. you were just traveling yourself. Where were you? Yes. So I was in Asia for the last two weeks. I actually just returned yesterday, and it's so great to be back in a region that I really feel closely connected to. And finally, it's fully reopened most of the region as well. I was in Taiwan, which reopened several months ago to travelers, and then Hong Kong, which actually just fully reopened um, just about a, about 10 days ago in, in late December. So it's, it was good to be back in both places. You were not there during the time, as you said, they're fully reopened, uh, but there have been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot in the press about China in particular having a very bad surge of COVID. Did you see any examples of that or was it, or, or maybe you didn't, you weren't near a hospital? So I, so in Hong Kong, they went, actually I was there in early January. So they hadn't actually opened their borders fully to mainland China yet. So when I was there, COVID cases were still really low um, in that particular region. Um, So thankfully that wasn't a major concern, but I know now as borders are more reopening with mainland China, um, that is something that people are kind of on the lookout for. Um, And even Mm. that's been kind of a a thing that's happening for uh, travel to the U.S. or other countries like Australia as well, where if you have been to China or Hong Kong, you'll have to get a COVID test and actually to go to those countries, um, to go back to the U.S. or to go to Australia and some other countries as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's. I guess now we know that this uncertainty is going to be part of travel going forward and then that you're going to be learning about new requirements uh, to cross borders. I do love Taiwan. I'm so glad. I'm so jealous you were there. I, I've been there maybe five times now. You know, there's been a lot in the news, too, about uh, China doing military exercises and trying to threatening uh, the, the nation. When I was there, what I loved was the friendliness of the people. It's very different from China. It's it's more traditional, I thought, in certain ways. Is it at all tense now? Are you or or do people seem to be just rolling with the uncertainty of whether or not China is going to make a move? 
Yeah, I think, as you said, the people are still very much um, more relaxed and friendly in their demeanor and kind of that's the general feeling that I got. It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of, at least on the surface, a whole lot of tension. Um, I think the whole area of Taiwan is, it's it's just a, a much more outdoorsy, laid back type of mentality. Right. Um, the yeah. people are incredibly open and the city is, Taipei is beautiful, but then there's just so much outdoor things to focus on as well. Uh, I think everyone just has a more kind of general open mindset to, to see how things go. Um, but I didn't see any particular like tensions, so to speak. Did you see a lot of tourists? Were a lot of visitors returning there like you were? Yes. So it was really great to see, actually. A lot of tourists, it seemed like, uh, were in Taiwan. I went during the New Year's holiday. So um, it was really great to see that the fireworks are back at Taipei 101. The hotel that I mm. stayed at was actually fully booked. It's The crowd seems like to be returning. So I think it's once a country kind of gets back on its feet, the travelers and the tourists will also return. So it's really it was really kind of heartening to see something like that, where um, as regions are re reopening, it's uh, the tourists are kind of returning in droves too. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, thank you so much for appearing on the travel show, Chris. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, Pauline. And that's it for this week's show. I thank you as always so much for listening. And I'd love to meet you. As I said at the beginning of the show, I will be at the New York Travel and Adventure Show on January 28th and 29th. I'm speaking a little bit, I think it's 2 p.m. both days. It might be 11.30 Sunday. I think it's 2 p.m. Saturday, 11.30 a.m. Sunday. I'm going to be on a panel. Actually, I'm moderating the panel. I got to invite them. So I have the fabulous Seth Kugel, who writes the Tripped Up column for the New York Times with me as well as Tanya Fitzpatrick, one of the founders of World Footprints. We're going to be talking about the top trends in travel, and I can't think of two better panelists to do that. So I hope I'll see you at the New York Travel and Adventure Show. And here is a little secret. If you use the code FROMERSVIP, you get in for free. <laughs> I have the best code. So use Fromers VIP. Go to, I think it's travelshows.com is where you can get the tickets. Uh, you're going to have to do this in advance. You can't show up at the gate just yelling, Fromers VIP, Fromers VIP. That won't work. But if you get advanced tickets, you're going to get in for free because you're my buddy. So please come see me. Would love to meet all of the podcast listeners. And Thank you for listening again. I'll see you next week. And to those who are traveling, as always, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage.